Is Mac Hollins the Falcons' new number two wide receiver? Regardless of his fit on the team's depth chart, he is absolutely a perfect fit in Arthur Smith's offense. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and the most humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, uh, your team every day. And we thank you guys for making Locked On Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. And check us out on your Roku and Amazon Fire TV by downloading the Locked On Sports Atlanta app. So later in today's episode, we'll take a deep dive on why the Falcons didn't make a play for Lamar Jackson. We'll talk a little bit about how the struggles, the challenges of, of you know, a fully guaranteed contract. Um, you know, so we'll also talk a little bit about, you know, the Falcons overpaying Taylor Heineke potentially over alternative backup quarterback options. We'll talk about the potential that Mike Hughes, who visited with the team on Monday, uh, could be their Isaiah Oliver replacement. But we'll start things off talking about the news that broke late Sunday night, uh, with the Falcons adding a wide receiver. We discussed on yesterday's episode that the wide receiver market was thinning and the Falcons options at that number two wide receiver spot were limited at that point in time. There are potential trade options there. We mentioned, you know, Raiders wide receiver Hunter Rimfro as an option, but you know, the Falcons opted instead for another former Raiders receiver. And that was Mac Holland signing him to a one year, $2.5 million deal. And basically this tells me that Arthur Smith was like, yeah, we're not going to find a quality number two receiver on the market. So let's just double down on running the football. Hollins, for those of you that don't know, is a big wide receiver, 6'4", 220. Uh, he was on my radar last year when I was doing sort of my free agent wish list heading into the 2022 offseason where, you know, my strategy is, you know, being – uh, taking over for Terry Fontenot was I'll invest what little money the Falcons had in the offensive line. And we'll just basically go for cheap special teams players at wide receiver that are looking for an opportunity to prove themselves on offense. And Hollins was near the top of that list of potential wide receiver options. And the Raiders basically wound up doing that. They moved on from Brian Edwards and Hollins wound up serving as their number two receiver opposite Devonte Adams last year. He caught 57 passes for 690 yards and four touchdowns. And so, you know, they're theoretically Hollins could do something similar here in Atlanta. Although, you know, I, I don't think he's going to look as effective as a number two opposite Drake London or, or Kyle Pitts as he did Devonte Adams. You know, it's a similar scenario with Julio Jones and Muhammad Sanu. Like when you have a high volume, number one, like you can kind of settle for less at that number two spot. But given the Falcons desire to potentially not play with too many wide receivers because they want to play with so many tight ends, uh, presumably with adding John o. Smith and also having Parker Hesse on the roster, uh, you know, maybe you don't necessarily need a high volume number two wide receiver in order to make this offense work. All right. The Falcons had two or more tight ends on the field last year for about 45 percent of the snaps, which I think ranked fifth in the NFL uh, behind several teams, including the Ravens. 
who I think were about 58% of their snaps had two or more tight ends. So it, there is room for the Falcons to dial up uh, their usage of the tight end in the offense with you know, more 12 personnel with, with Smith and, and Hesse or 13 personnel with both of those guys joining Kyle Pitts on the football field. And, and technically, you know, Kyle Pitts can be your number two wide receiver with Drake London as your number one. And, um, you know, Jonu Smith and Parker Hesse being your two tight ends. So, uh, you know, maybe the Falcons, you know, will have 13 personnel, you know, being like 45% of their snaps this year. And in that scenario, you know, Hollins fits in well because basically what you're going to be asking him to do quite a bit is block, right? He's a perfect fit in this offense. I've joked in the past that basically if you're a wide receiver in the Arthur Smith offense, you run four routes, right? It's the dig, it's the slant, it's the fade and the out. And if you go through Hollins's tape at in Oakland, or I'm sorry, with Las Vegas last year, I will continue to make that mistake. Um, and you'll basically see the vast majority of his targets, the vast majority of his catches were one of those four routes, digs, slants, fades, and outs. Right. He's a big body that can win in contested cast situations. You can throw back shoulder fades to him. The Raiders like to throw him several fades in the red zone. Uh, and he was effective at times. You know, he's not the fastest guy. He's not the quickest guy. He's not going to get a ton of separation. But because of that contested catchability and that size, especially going over the middle, he can be a very big target for someone like Desmond Ritter over the middle or a quick outlet into the flat. Those are the types of things that he can do. And of course, you know, it, probably his greatest strength is using that size to his advantage as a blocker, taking on safeties and, and corners and linebackers. And, you know, from that perspective, I kind of love this move because it's just basically the Falcons you know, doubling down on, you know, Arthur Smith running the football. Like, you know, Arthur Smith tells us every single day, seemingly that like he ain't about throwing that football. In. <laughs> and this, this, this move is, 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 um, you know, perfectly summarizing it. So it's, it's basically like them redoing what they did last offseason, acquiring Brian Edwards and the mistake they made with Brian Edwards was, you know, with him having limited op uh, playing time, like they were trying to make him into a pass catcher and it's like, screw that. Let's just get Brian Edwards. But, you know, actually do, let him do the thing that uh, he was actually wound up doing, you know, far too often last year, which is block. And let's get a guy that can perform that role to a high level. And I think they got that in Mac Hollins. But I imagine their goal is to have Hollins as a number three option. And you look for your number two option to maybe potentially be more of that slot receiver that's what Alameda Zacchaeus was in that role and that's why I still hold out hope that maybe the Falcons could call up the Raiders again and be like hey you want to trade Hunter Renfro to us because Hunter Renfro would definitely be uh a, a, you know a much more effective number two in that slot role than OZ was um last year so um you know I, I think that option is still out there for the Falcons if they are looking for a number two uh to, to get another you know potential X Raider uh, a phone call in that regard. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but you know, I don't think the Falcons are done at the wide receiver position, but um, you know, they have some work to do there. They have some work to do at the cornerback position and they may be on the verge of finding their Isaiah Oliver replacement with bringing in former uh, Minnesota Viking, Kansas City Chief and Detroit Lion Mike Hughes in for a free agent visit on Monday. And we'll break that down what they sort of see Hughes's uh, role with this team moving forward. But before we get there, guys, I want to tell you about, you know, FanDuel. 
right? The America's number one sports book. It's the perfect time to download their app because, you know, March madness is upon us. And as you know, if you put out a bracket this year, you know, your bracket is doing great or it's doing terrible. And either way, you definitely want to take advantage of FanDuel because if you're, you know, Bracket's doing well. You want to ride that hot hand and, and maybe make a little bit extra money uh, at FanDuel. Or if your bracket's doing poorly, you want to make up that difference and, and, and take advantage of the opportunities. What you've learned, you know, with that bad pick where you had a guy, a team going to the Elite Eight and they got bounced in the first round. Uh, so you want to find a way to do that. And of course, you could do so with FanDuel. Download the app. It's safe, secure, super easy to use. You can use it for money line, point spreads, parlays, whatever you want. Uh, and the great thing is if you are new to FanDuel, you get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That means you get bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So take advantage of that no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So continuing our conversation about the Falcons free agent signings and potential free agent signings, uh, according to NFL Network, Mike Hughes visited the Falcons on Monday. It was reported over the weekend that he would visit the team over the weekend. We'll see if the Falcons wind up signing him. Of course, probably by the time I finish recording this episode, this has been the trend over last week. Uh, the Falcons will announce that they signed Mike Hughes or whatever. And so, but, uh, um, you know, Hughes has that connection with Jerry Gray, the Falcons new assistant head coach. Uh, who was formerly the Vikings defensive backs coach when uh, the Vikings drafted Hughes in the first round of the 2018 draft and didn't necessarily work in Minnesota, three sort of injury plague seasons there. Um, and, you know, I think Hughes definitely gives the Falcons another option at cornerback where we've talked a little bit about what their plan is moving forward. Like you feel really good about AJ Terrell moving forward. You feel pretty good about D Alford as a developmental nickel what about the future of Casey Hayward? What about the future of Darren Hall? Kind of lost a little bit of his mojo by the end of the season, being replaced by Cornell Armstrong, who the Falcons did resign over the weekend. Um, I think Hughes, what he brings is outside, inside, outside versatility. He's played both outside and inside corner, uh, you know, that slot nickel corner. His best year seemed to become as an outside corner uh, in 2021 in Kansas City, at least based off of the PFF grades, uh, when he's been a slot corner like he was last year with the Detroit Lions or in previous years with the Vikings. You know, his PFF grades at the very least, again, how much stock you want to put into it, uh, were pretty underwhelming. Um, and, you know, Hughes is interesting because I was a big fan of Mike Hughes in that 2018 draft class. He was my CB one. Yes. I actually rated him above Denzel Ward and Jair Alexander. And clearly those were the wrong, that was the wrong opinion. Um, and this is why I will continue to say that, you know, you could probably take most of my opinions with a grain of salt, but definitely my quarter cornerback evaluations, uh, with a grain of salt, because I probably have the worst track record with that position evaluating those players in college. But in my defense, I didn't love Denzel Ward's ball skills to, to merit him being a top 10 pick. And I was concerned about Jair Alexander's durability. Uh, those have been non-issues. So clearly I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I look at Hughes as a signing that if the goal is to have him upgrade Darren Hall as your CB4, as your fourth corner that is going to be the top guy off the bench because your top three corners are going to be starters, your two outside guys, your slot corner are, are technically starters because they're going to be playing, you know, your nickel guy is going to play 
65, 70% of the snaps. Um, so that CB4 needs to kind of have, ideally would have inside outside versatility and Darren Hall kind of filled those shoes the last couple of years. Um, and I feel like Mike Hughes could potentially be an upgrade there, uh, especially based off of how Darren Hall ended last year, as I mentioned earlier, kind of, uh, getting, you know, leapfrogged by, um, Cornell Armstrong. But uh, if the goal is for Mike Hughes to be more that CB2 or CB3, um, you know, I'm not as in love with, with that idea uh, with this signing. Um, but, you know, it's not to say that he shouldn't get an opportunity to compete for that. Like, I just wouldn't go into camp expecting Hughes to be my top option. You know, I, I'd much rather see him get the opportunity to compete for that. And if he comes out of camp winning, you know, beating out D. Alford or something like that, that would make sense to me. But that wouldn't be my first, my plan A is basically what I'm getting at. So we'll we'll see what the Falcons do at that position. They obviously need to replace some of their depth because their cornerback depth did take another hit on Monday, not only with the loss of Isaiah Oliver, they did lose Mike Ford to the Browns. Uh, now Ford's primary contribution was special teams with the Falcons. And contrary to popular opinion, he wasn't particularly good on special teams, in my humble opinion. Um, and, you know, he was a gunner on the punt team. That was his primary role. And Mac Hollins has been primarily a gunner on punt team until last year. Uh, he still served as a gunner on, on the Raiders punt team. But uh, you, you could imagine, you know, OK, Hollins can step in for Mike Ford in that role. The question is, who's going to be the other gunner? That is where Kadero Hodge was, who actually was good on very good on special teams last year. But he is visiting uh, Houston on Monday, according to various reports. And we'll see if they wind up signing him. Um, you have internal options like Avery Williams who has you know, not gotten too many opportunities as a gunner uh, during the regular season, but when he has, has made plays there. Um, so we'll see. You know, It wouldn't shock me if we see the Falcons over the second wave of free agency start to bring in more special teams guys like we saw over the weekend with you know, linebacker Tay Davis uh, to kind of fill some of these roles, these back-end roles for the, for the team over the next week or so. So we'll see how that fares. Uh, but we'll move off of the cornerback conversation and get to a listener question that was left over from yesterday's Monday mailbag. And this one is an email from Stephen B, who sent his email to LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com, which, of course, anybody can send in their questions uh, to that or provide other types of feedback to that email address. But his question is, why would the Falcons invest significantly more into acquiring Taylor Heineke than guys like Mariota, Minshew, and Cooper Rush are reportedly getting. Is Heineke worth paying extra for? Did the Falcons overpay to get their guy? So I think you can definitely say the Falcons did overpay, but probably not to a huge degree, right? Heineke signed a two-year, $14 million contract. It really basically breaks down into a one-year, $7 million contract. And then we'll see uh, in, in year two, it's basically the same contract that we gave Mariota last year. You compare that to the contracts that Mariota signed this offseason with the Eagles. It was a one-year, $5 million deal based off of the initial reports. Gardner Minshew signed a one-year, $3.5 million deal with the Colts and Cooper Rush, you know, stayed with Dallas on a two-year, $5 million deal. So the Falcons are paying Heineke more, but, you know, I don't, you know, a couple million more uh, than, you know, Mariota and Minshew, I don't think it's, it's a huge, huge overpay. But, you know, I, I, I think the case for why the Falcons were willing to do that is because, you know, you feel like Heineke's going to be a pretty good backup for you and a better backup than these three options that you're specifically pointing out, Stephen. Um, you know, he's not going to 
allegedly quit on the team like a, one of those guys did allegedly. Um, and, you know, I think you're probably also looking at him um, over a guy like Minshew, because I imagine Gardner Minshew wants to be a starter. Right. And it's not to say that Taylor Heineke doesn't aspire to being that. But going back to a conversation we had with David Harrison of Lockdown Commanders last week about Taylor Heineke, where like, you know, Heineke spent like five plus years bouncing around various NFL practice squads and the XFL and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think he's probably a little bit more appreciative of the job security here in Atlanta uh, from someone who knows what it's like to, to bust their butt to even try to make an NFL roster while Gardner Minshew, from what I understand. And again, you know, uh, locked on Eagles or, or somebody else would probably have better insight into this. But from what I understand, when Gardner Minshew replaced J- Jalen Hurts back in 2021, when he was hurt for a game and played really well against, I think, the Jets, it was. After the game, reportedly, allegedly, whatever, Minshew went to Nick Sirianni and was like, you know, am I going to be the starter now over Jalen Hurts? And Nick Sirianni obviously was like, no. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think Gardner Minshew wants to be a starter, right? He was a starter early in his career in Jacksonville. Um, and I think he's the type of person that if the Falcons brought him in even for cheaper, he's going to come in here and, and try to beat out, um, um, Desmond Ritter. And that's not going to necessarily be something that Taylor Heineke is going to be driven to do, right? He's going to go out there and be a great teammate and be a great mentor and, and advocate for, for Desmond Ritter. And, while I, I certainly understand why probably a bunch of fans, that's music to a bunch of fans' ears, hearing that Gardner Mitchell is really going to try to come out here and beat that, I don't think that's really something the Falcons are interested in. So I think the Falcons were a little bit more willing to uh, pay for a backup that's going to help Desmond Ritter as opposed to hurt Desmond Ritter in his development. And then Cooper Rush is Cooper Rush. No offense to him. He's a perfectly solid backup. But do you really need me to come on here and tell you Taylor Heineke is a better option than Cooper Rush um, in that regard. So uh, to me, it makes sense that the Falcons um, overpaid for Taylor Heineke. But what I would sit here and say, rather than focusing on the overpay, I think you need to focus on the statement that you made that he's their guy. That's really what it is. You put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, right? So like it's it's really about getting their guy as opposed to overpaying and they were willing to do that uh, in this regard. So we will wrap up today's episode, uh, turning our attention back to the Lamar Jackson conversation, because we had a listener question uh, talking about, you know, some of the challenges to a fully guaranteed contract. And we'll sort of revisit that conversation because, you know, maybe putting a, a final button on it of why the Falcons weren't as willing as some people think they should have been to go after Lamar Jackson and said settling for Desmond Ritter moving forward because it doesn't fit their timeline. And we'll get into that as we continue today's episode. But guys, this is a great time of year because built March Madness bracket is here. Vote for your favorite flavor of bar or puff by going to builtmarchmadness.com. I'm definitely rooting for the coconut brownie chunk, just like I was rooting for Pitt to, to make it to the Sweet 16. Unfortunately, they did not live up to that. And so I'm hoping that coconut brownie chunk does not disappoint me like my beloved Pitt Panthers uh, in the built March madness bracket. And if you guys enter, uh, you'll be entered. If you participate, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked on listeners will get a free box of built. And not only that one lucky listener will get a 12 month subscription 
to built and have the best bars and puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. And you got to try built bars, the best protein bar ever. So good that you won't believe that they're good for you. And what makes them so good is they're covered in hundred percent real chocolate. They're low in sugar, low in calories, but high in protein, a whopping 17 grams of protein. So run over to built March madness, right.com right now and vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March. So hop in and support your, favorite flavor so um you know the falcons quarterback situation is an interesting one i you know i i don't think the falcons i think the falcons are out on adding quarterbacks i think heineke was their final addition at that position this offseason uh they have three quarterbacks on the roster in desmond ritter taylor heineke and logan woodside and to me what's notable about that is since arthur smith and terry fontenot got here and roughly they've been on the job for nearly 800 days, something like 790 something. I think at this point in time, there has not been a single one of those 800 days, nearly 800 days where they've carried more than three quarterbacks on their roster. Right. And so when I, when I see various people thinking that the Falcons are still in the mix to move up in round one, to get one of these quarterbacks, or, you know, I've seen various people submit mock drafts uh, to me uh, at the various places uh, where you can do so. Um, they often, you'll see people take a flyer on a developmental quarterback on day three. You know, I, I see Stetson Bennett's name quite a bit in that. And I, I don't see the Falcons doing it. I think they're content to stand pat at the quarterback position. But, you know, I want to make that clear uh, just because, you know, it is technically possible that the Falcons could go out there and add a fourth quarterback into the mix or add a, another quarterback and then wind up cutting Logan Woodside. But I just want to say that I don't think it's very likely. I think the, the odds of that happening are very, very low. Um, but let's, let's go back and, and revisit the Lamar Jackson conversation just because I got an email from Steven Adams uh, who sent in a breakdown of a, like a five-year fully guaranteed contract. I think he had it worth $235 million. I'm not going to read the email. But, um, you know, to answer sort of what Stephen was asking me about, like what, what are some of the challenges of a fully guaranteed contract? For me, at least, the way I see it, um, like it's a fully guaranteed contract, you know, one presumably with Lamar Jackson is pretty manageable in the first few years, right? What really happens with these big quarterback contracts, it's usually in the back half of the contract, usually like year three, four, five on these five-year deals where it starts to become a little bit bigger a problem. And so year three of a Lamar Jackson deal of, in this alternate reality where the Falcons did go after Lamar would be 2025. And that would be the offseason where they would need to start paying their 2021 draft class, guys like Richie Grant, Drew Dahlman. That would also probably be the offseason that they would decide to pay Kyle Pitts or not. Um, you know, assuming that he falls on a similar timeline with Chris Lindstrom getting his extension in 2023, AJ Terrell in 2024, and then potentially Kyle Pitts in 2025. So in year four of a Lamar Jackson deal, when the money starts to really start to spike, because, you know, NFL contracts are backloaded. We've discussed this before on the podcast where the cap hits get go up each and every year. Um, you know, if you go to year four, that would be 2026. That would be Drake London's extension year. That would also be the offseason where you would have to re-sign guys like Arnold Ebiketti or Troy Anderson or Tyler Algier or in that 2022 draft class to new deals. And, you know, you can just go back and look at Matt Ryan's extension, last extension he signed in 2018, that starting around year three in 2020 it was where 
things started to get a little bit unwieldy for the Falcons and they had to let, you know, several guys in their 2016 draft class walk guys like Austin Hooper and whatnot. And I think a lot of people look back at those 2015 and 2016 draft class and say, oh, you know, Grady Jarrett was the only guy that really got a, a second contract and it's because the rest of the guys weren't good. And it's like, I don't know. I think the Falcons had to cut some corners there. I think they had to make some hard choices. And it's not to sit here and say that only due to Matt Ryan's contract, but you know, what happens when you pay quarterbacks that type of premium and you also have other, you know, big contracts like the Falcons did before with guys like Julio Jones and, and others and what you imagine in a world where the Falcons go out there and get Lamar Jackson and they would have big contracts for potentially, you know, Lindstrom and Terrell and Pitts and London, as well as Jesse Bates and, and whoever else, um, you know, what it does is it squeezes the, the middle class. Like you have the the, the high-end guys, you have a bunch of cheap guys on rookie contracts and veteran minimum deals, but it squeezes your middle class of your roster. And that's really what hurt the Falcons, I think, towards the end of the Dan Quinn era. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, the thing that didn't, you know, Matt Ryan's contract didn't kill our cap. It was bad signings like Jamon Brown and James Carpenter that really killed our cap. And that's true to a certain extent, but that's what I'm talking about, where like you have a much smaller margin for error, right? And it comes to, you have to, like you can navigate that shrinking middle class, if you can consistently hit on draft picks, if you can consistently hit on free agent signings, like when you do go out there and spend $5 million or $7 million on this free agent, you're consistently getting the most bang for your buck. But we know that, you know, free agency isn't necessarily built for that. We know that the draft is really hard to draft consistently that well in, in the ways that you are going to need to with one of these, you know, big time quarterback contracts. And that was true when the Falcons had Matt Ryan here. And I think that would be also true if the Falcons were to have Lamar Jackson. So I think for me, my main issue, my main beef with the idea of Lamar Jackson is I don't think the Falcons are at that point in their timeline, in their process, whatever you want to call it, right? That move to me signals an all-in move. That's a, the type of move that you make because you're expecting before the, these cap consequences that I just described hit, like you kind of have to win a Super Bowl in the next three years because after that point, it's going to be very challenging for you to be able to continue to retain your roster together and make it cohesive. Uh, and you're going to have to wind up replacing a whole bunch of guys. Uh, and, and that's not, again, shrinking your margin for error. And so like part of the reason why I'm not a big fan of all in moves, because I've seen the Falcons make them before and it hasn't worked out before. And, you know, you saw that in 06 under Rich McKay, you saw in 2011 when they made the Julio trade, you saw it in 2017 when they started paying all these guys on second deals to try to keep the band back together uh, as they went to the Super Bowl. But those time at those times when the Falcons went all in it to me made sense then because in 06 when they went out and got John Abraham and lawyer Malloy and Wayne Gandy and whatnot they were just two years removed from the NFC championship game so that sort of you know making those moves to get over the hump made sense in 2011 they were obviously the number one seed the previous year with the best record in football when they went all in to get Julio Jones to get over the hump. You know, 2017, obviously, they were in the Super Bowl the previous year when they started paying those guys. So it made sense to try to keep the band together at that point in time. 2023, you're coming off your fourth seven-win season in the last five years, right? We're, we're only, what, 13 to 14 months removed from people basically saying that the Falcons in 2021 had a bottom five roster. Right. And so that's why, like, to me, the whole Lamar Jackson conversation has been somewhat baffling to me. And I've expressed this on previous episodes in talking about it, which is like people act like the Falcons are like have this great supporting cast ready for Lamar Jackson to come in and, and be the Super Bowl caliber team. Right. And it's basically like 
since having that bottom five roster, allegedly, right? Like they've had one draft class and one free agent class. And suddenly like they're now one of the best rosters in the NFL. And then you look at the weapons that people act like, Oh, like Lamar's going to have weapons in Atlanta that he's never had in Baltimore. And that's like, what? Like, you know, again, no offense to Drake London and Kyle Pitts, not saying they're bad or anything. Like, I feel like we're very premature declaring these as like top caliber weapons. Right. Especially that you can win a Super Bowl with. Right. Because like you look at another recent team that went and made that all in move to get a quarterback, Tom Brady, and won a Super Bowl when he inherited Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. People forget that the Bucks offense that he inherited was top three in the league the previous year under Jameis Winston in his 30 touchdown, 30 interception season. But during that season, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were the best, arguably the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. Right. You know, maybe Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones could have given them a run for their money. But like they combined for over 150 catches, over 2,500 yards and 17 touchdowns in 2019 before Tom Brady ever got there. Right. And then you look at the 10 games that London and Pitts played this past year uh, and you extrapolate that over a full season. Right. That would only be about 107 catches, 1200 something some odd yards and 10 touchdowns. You're talking about 30 to 50 percent less production from our wide receiver duo than that wide receiver duo. And then you compare that to the top duo that Lamar had in Baltimore in his last fully healthy season, which was 2020 with Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. And those guys had 116 catches and 14, almost 1500 yards and 15 touchdowns. So they were more productive than Pitts and London were. Two years ago, you know, Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. So I'm a little baffled by why people act like the Falcons supporting cast is somehow like ready made for Lamar to have something that he's never had. Now, again, you can sit here and say, you know, it's the Arthur Smith offense versus the Bruce Arians offense or, you know, different quarterback levels, all that stuff and more. But like it remains to be seen if Drake London and Kyle Pitts are like that sort of premier duo of of weapons that Lamar has never had before. And so to me, ultimately, with the Lamar Jackson conversation, like I think you acquire Lamar because he's going to definitely make you a playoff team. But I think it's highly debatable whether or not he's going to make you a Super Bowl team. Like to me, you're basically, you know, for all the faults that everybody sits here and points out with the Ravens, like at least the Ravens have a, a, a good defense, right? And like the Falcons don't even have that. And so you're basically betting that, you know, their offense is massively better than what the Ravens have put together on the field. And again, based off of what we have seen so far, there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that the Falcons have a much better supporting cast that potentially around Lamar here than he had in Baltimore. And so to me, if you're not convinced that like suddenly you have the Super Bowl supporting caliber cast, uh, around Lamar, it, it, I don't think it makes a ton of sense to give up the draft capital. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to give him the contract to make him the highest paid player ever um, just to basically hit your ceiling, presumably of like a second round playoff exit of where the Ravens have been the last couple of years, right? Now, obviously, your mileage may vary on that particular subject. I certainly understand why, you know, five years of without a playoff berth you know, has made a lot of people more desperate to just get back there. And it's like, hey, you know, second round playoff exit is music to my ears. Um, but I personally don't think you need to make that move for Lamar Jackson 
just to be a playoff team. I think you can continue to build this roster so that you can basically be a playoff team on your own, right? Like the quarterback really matters when it comes to being a Super Bowl contender, but I don't think it really matters all as much as maybe some people would like to you, lead you to believe when it comes to being a playoff team. Like you don't need to necessarily have an elite quarterback play to be a playoff contender as several teams in the NFC uh, have shown us over the years. Um, and so like, I just don't see the point of going all in on a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, as good as he is, but um, you know, when you don't necessarily have built up that supporting cash yet. And I think that's why the Falcons aren't interested as some people think they should be, or, or want them to be in, you know, making that play for the quarterback right now. I think they're going to continue to build up the roster and then further down the line, you know, depending on what happens with Desmond Ritter and what else may make that move for the quarterback. Once they built up that sort of team that can basically be a playoff caliber team on its own. Right. And, you know, Unlike a lot of people, I don't think necessarily that, you know, the options available for them at that future date, whether that's next year or the year after or whenever, are going to be that limited. I, I don't think Lamar or the quarterbacks available in this year's draft are sort of unique. And it's like, this is your last chance. I, I, I think that stuff is overblown. There will be plenty of quarterback options in the future. Um, you know. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think some of that is owed to. The, the reality that I'm probably a little bit more patient than a lot of other people. And I can understand why people are impatient uh, to, to wait to see the team build up that team. But, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me to go all in on to just to get to the second round of the playoffs, right? You know, build, build it until you get there all, all on your own and then you can go on. And that's basically what the chiefs did. Right. Or, you know, to, to do what the bills did, which, you know, uh, which was to build it around their young quarterback. And, you know, hopefully, you know, that, that leads to you, you know, getting beyond the second round of the playoffs uh, in the future. So um, I hope that better explains why the Falcons aren't all in, but I'm sure plenty of you will provide your feedback on, on why I'm wrong or why you think I'm right. So of course you can do so via Twitter or Facebook at locked on Falcons via email at locked on Falcons at mail.com. And of course you can hit me up in the discord locked on Falcons discord link in the description below, or leave a comment here on the locked on Falcons YouTube channel. So we still got more to come later this week. Uh, I do want to do my breakdowns of uh, Kate Ellis and David Anyamata after watching the film, as well as Jesse Bates and get some insight on Jesse Bates uh, from locked on Bengals. And we'll probably have some guests later on in the week. So continue to make Locked On Falcons your first listen each and every day. And for your second listen, check out the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the draft dudes from free agency to the draft, salary cap management, and more. Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino are giving you the lowdown and taking you through what it takes to build a successful NFL franchise every single day. So find Locked On NFL Scouting with the draft dudes wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Part of Locked On Podcast Network, guys. Your team every day. 